Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Today, we will be speaking to James Penny, Chief Investment Officer at TAM Asset Management. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, where we talk to people who matter about things that matter in the world of financial services. My name is Rebecca Tomes, and I'm the junior editor at IFA Magazine. And joining me on the podcast today is my co-host and IFA Magazine editor, Sue Whitbread. Today, Sue and I are really excited to talk to James Penny, Chief Investment Officer at TAM Asset, Ma- Asset Management. Before we introduce you, James, I'd just like to say a bit about TAM Asset Management as a business, as it's clearly on a sustainability mission and as an example of a firm really putting its money where its mouth is when it comes to being sustainable. They've not only been awarded Carbon Neutral Plus, meaning they have offset 125% of their own carbon emissions, but also offset the annual emissions of their individual investors. This is something really different and puts a new perspective on what's next for ESG and what more firms can do to empower their investors to make positive impact outside of funds and avoid the risk of greenwashing altogether. So let's get straight into it, shall we? Welcome, James. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you very much for having me on. We're looking forward to it, James. Hi there. Okay, then. Um, I know, James, that as the, the discretionary fund management is, is what TAM does then, and I know our advisor audience will be very interested to hear this, but I wondered what you see as the biggest challenges for discretionary fund managers today in this tricky old market that we've got. Yeah. Tricky is a great word for it. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's certainly one of the most tricky environments uh, I think I've ever experienced in my career. But, you know, there are people that go back 20 or 30 years worth of investing um, who say that this is one of the one of the trickiest markets they've ever had to Mm -hmm. to manage client assets Mm -hmm. through. You know, anybody listening who is running client assets, you know, my my heart does go out to you. It's not easy. Mm. It's not easy looking after other people's capital in this market. And I suppose that's probably a nice segue into what, you know, what is the challenge for running a DFM portfolio? Um, TAM runs, TAM runs uh, portfolios for around two and a half thousand underlying clients. Um, and we've been running those for, you know, nearly over eight years now. Um, very much the goal in this market is capital preservation. It's... Mm. You yeah. know, it's about making sure that we're looking after the gains that we've made for those clients over the last decade in great markets and making sure that we're not giving them all back. Yeah. Um, mm. It's a lot harder than it sounds. Mm. Um, yeah. You've got the, the main problem from a, from, a, from a DFM model portfolio perspective is that a model portfolio is designed around the premise that you own equities for when the stock market is rallying and you own fixed income and bonds for when the stock market is selling off, i.e. in a bear market. Mm. Bonds go up in a bear market and equities come down. The problem mm. is that, um, that, that that negative correlation is just dead. You know, mm. equities mm-hmm. and fixed income are moving in the same way mm. uh, exactly. in this market. And, you know, it's almost like the two, the two building blocks that were supposed to sustain the architecture of a DFM have, you know, have broken down. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So the challenge is to, you know, not only protect client assets, but you've lost one of the biggest asset classes that allows you to do that, which is fixed income in a, you know, in a bear market. Um, 
it's not, you know, for every challenge, there's a, you know, sorry, for every, um, you know, for every bear market, there's a challenge and an opportunity. And I think we've, um, we've been able to diversify quite nicely. And there are some, you know, some really amazing things that you can invest into that are still highly liquid and, you know, very available to everyone that are actually giving us that, um, what we're losing in bonds. Um, and that for me, very much frames the challenge is, you know, is being that steward of capital, is looking after client assets and really turning over every rock and looking under every stone to find those asset classes to replace what the market has taken away from you. Um, yeah, I, I could talk all day about this, so I'll just leave it there. <laughs> and I guess as a DFM, you're going to be thinking long term, whereas a lot of individual investors when they see the market volatility that we've got at the moment, they might well be panicking and want to jump. And yeah, but how you know taking the long term view is just what you've got to do, isn't it? Stick to your knitting. Yes, mm -hmm. and obviously a long term view is you know is married with people's time horizons. Mm -hmm. I like to make sure that I'm at least aware and knowledgeable of the fact that not everybody has the same time horizon and not everybody has True. the luxury of being able to invest for five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, for those investors that do have a long time horizon, this is nothing but a buying opportunity. This is nothing but an opportunity to own extremely high quality companies at, uh, you know, at, at an increasingly attractive valuation. You know, you go into a shop and see things on sale it doesn't mean that the quality of what you're buying is deteriorated. It just means you're getting a better price for it. You should, in some respects, think of stocks like that. If the manager that you're buying is a, a good manager, then, um, then you know, what high quality that they're buying is on sale. Um, the challenge, again, is to make sure that you're running a portfolio that's best suited for clients that have a maybe a one-year horizon and a two-year horizon, as well as a 10-year horizon. We need to make sure that portfolios are suitable for all clients, not just the ones that have a very long, uh, long view. And that's where all these fantastic alternatives come in that can make money. We've got volatility funds, commodity funds, precious metals funds like gold and silver. You know, they're all up over 15% this year. Mm -hmm. So whilst the market's down 20 we can still have um, investments that are up 15 for the people that are, that, you know, they don't have that long tenure view. Yeah. That lovely word diversification. We love it. Don't we? Yes. <laughs> There's a, there was a quote the other day that came out that's fantastic. And it basically said, nobody talks about diversification when the stock market's going up because nobody yeah. cares because the stock market's <laughs> going up. It's, it's only true. when the stock market comes down that everybody starts using the word diversification. It's hilarious. It's very true. <laughs> it is, isn't it? very true <laughs> so i think the next thing we kind of wanted to talk about was at tam how do you approach esg investing amongst all the volatility and greenwashing debate and taking that a step further can you tell us a bit about tam's sustainability mission sure um esg investing i have said this many times i i do believe it's the future i mean yeah running mm -hmm. your company within a you know an ethical a social a governance framework has proven that you can actually, you can run a leaner business. And you can see that in the share prices of companies that, you know, behave in mm -hmm. an ESG fashion. They're, they're, they're proving to be more lucrative from an investment stance. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, from, a, from an economic perspective, from a citizen of the world, it, it's quite clear looking at 
you know, looking around us that we need to do something about this planet. We need to, you know, we need to invest more in green infrastructure. We need to take climate control very seriously. These trends, I don't believe, are going anywhere. There will be people that disagree, but I think the main direction of travel is the entire world agrees that something needs to be done about this. And for me, ESG, green investing, impact investing, whatever you want to call it, the entire spectrum of investing for a better tomorrow is... Uh, you know, I, I think I've never seen so many people uniformly agree that that needs to happen. And as an investor, that gets me very excited because there's a lot of returns to be made. There's a huge amount of opportunity out there for ESG investors, not only to put their money to work for the better tomorrow, but also make some fantastic returns. That brings me to, you know, the thing we were talking about earlier about long term investing for the long term. And ESG is absolutely that. But to quickly, the point about greenwashing, it's ESG has become marred yeah. in, in, you know, a lot of people coming out and saying, well, you know, you don't really have an official benchmark. You're not really pitching yourself against any standardized form. So, you know, mm. people can almost make up whatever they want and say it's ESG. And yeah. I think, you know, there needs to be, there needs to be some commonality in what we all consider to be an ESG company, an ESG opportunity. Um, for instance, the Ukrainian war, um, you know, incredibly tragic. And I think a little insulting to the ESG theme that, that, that people are coming out and saying, well, you know, given what's happened in Ukraine, we believe that uh, weapons are now um, weapons are now OK to put into ESG portfolios, because as long as it's standing up for the greater good and standing up to tyranny, then it can be included. Well, you know, weapons have been the poster child mm-hmm. of what ESG doesn't invest into for such a long yeah, time. Yeah. So yeah. for that narrative to just change overnight, because something's changed and people have decided it's OK, we need to get around that problem. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just... I think it's worth everybody coming back to square one, which is how are we putting our money to work? How are we making a difference? How can I invest for a better tomorrow? And obviously that's not buying alcohol, tobacco, and definitely not buying firearms. Yeah. And it's looking at funds and talking to fund managers and finding out what, what, what makes them tick and finding out what they think about the tomorrow you know the future of tomorrow the opportunities that they see on the pad and um it's it's active management it's buying fund managers that you believe you know are aligned with your own views but also you know that that can pick out the real opportunities they don't just have to be e and s and g they can be green they can be social impact they can be Mm -hmm. environmental impact they can be uh you know, they can be smart materials that go into, you know, new age green infrastructure. There's a wealth of different options for people to invest into. It doesn't just have to be this mundane ESG. Um, and that's what we do for TAM. That's what we do for our clients here is we don't just stick to ESG. We try to give them the entire spectrum of every opportunity that we think is investing for a better tomorrow. Again, I could talk for years on this, so I'll stop me. <laughs> Me now. <laughs> we could talk about it for years as well couldn't we Sue? we love it oh, definitely. <laughs> you are listening to ifa talk ifa magazine's weekly podcast 
Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. I haven't talked about the Green Initiative, the Carbon carbon Neutral from TAM. Do you want me to Indeed. touch on that real quick? Absolutely. So we came up with the idea. I don't know of anyone in the asset management industry. I don't especially don't know of anyone who's a DFM um, that is nope, carbon neutral. Neither do we. That's no, carbon neutral. Sure. Great. No. So we're all we're all agreed. <laughs> Sam, seems to be, Sam seems to be one of the first, the only DFM in the world, maybe. To, um, <laughs> I'm sure you're going to get calls saying no. That's yeah, not we. we are. But, um, <laughs> from my perspective, it sounds like from you know talking to people out in the city that there's nobody else doing what we do which is just to offset our footprint. It's not a, it's not a groundbreaking thing. It's, it's just something that I believe all companies need to do. It's something that I think we should all adhere to. And yes, people will say, well, asset management isn't really that carbon intensive. Well, yes, I agree, but it's not particularly relevant. It's just that we're doing our part, standing up. The principle of the thing, isn't it, really? Very exactly. much so. And then, you know, we had that initial conversation and then the CEO and I decided that, well, let's extrapolate that. Let's push that out. If we're doing that, why don't we give why don't we give our clients the opportunity to um, to do that as well? And that's you know just back on my ESG thing, you know, of people wanting their money to be put to work in the right way. Well, we can mm-hmm. do that, and you can you can invest into a non ESG portfolio and still clear your carbon footprint every year with us. And you know, it, it you, you're just doing something, and because we can structure it in such a way that you will never see, you will never have to do anything about offsetting your carbon footprint. We will do it all for the clients. Yeah. It just happens every year. You just tick a box on the um, onboarding form with Tam and it's all done for you until you tell us to stop. It's, um, I, it's just a really nice way of offering some, offering people to put their money to work, you know, for very little action. And yeah. I think if more companies can do that and help everybody and all their clients at the same time, you know, we might get there. COP26, maybe not, but we might get there. Yeah. And it's li- it's lots of little actions all over the place that will make the biggest difference, isn't it? I Absolutely. know we need world leaders to really chip chip in. But if if everyone can do small things within their own practice, within their own lifestyle, then it can make a difference. And what you're doing, I think, is is really admirable. And I, I it think is. it's lovely. Me it's, too. It, it's a commitment. And I, I yeah. like the fact that, you know, carbon, carbon credits, carbon initiatives, you know, they're in their infancy and they're going to get more sophisticated. They might get more expensive. We're not saying that this is something that's, you know, only a fixed cost. It's going to vary. But our commitment to doing it is, is really important. Yeah, well done, you guys. Well done. Uh, I'm now going to take you back down an old journey, James, where we talk about the old active versus passive debate. Yes. My goodness, <laughs> it's, as old, it's as old as the hills. Yes, it uh, is. Some go one way, some go the other, some want a bit of both. But it would be good to get your views on how you see this debate as having it, progressed perhaps a little bit this year. So, I, again, I will talk for years on this, so just, just jump in. <laughs> Stop me, tell me to shut up. <laughs> but it's the reason I think this is it's always been an interesting conversation, but it's been a sideshow whilst the market has been storming up for the last yeah. five to 10 years. Yeah, you've has. just owned a passive product and it's yeah. not mattered. 
It's yeah. not mattered at all. It, you know, you can have an active manager, one of the best in the world against a passive, you know, FTSE all share. And they've done the same. In fact, the FTSE yeah. all share has beaten the manager. Yeah. So yeah. what's the point? But now we're in a world which is, for the last decade, never been seen. I mean, the amount of economists that are coming out and saying that the new paradigm, the new market is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. We've got interest rates aggressively rising. You know, the US did 0.75. That's a little bit off a percent. Last night, Bank mm-hmm. of England did 0.25 again. You know, we're, we're moving into a world that is uncharted for many managers. Mm-hmm. And in that, you're going to have so many companies that can't survive. Yeah. You're going to have so many companies that are still grappling with what happened to them in COVID. And now mm-hmm. they've got interest rates rising, you know, more than they have done in a very long time and more aggressively. This environment is not conducive for growth. And it's the whole point of raising interest rates is to stop, is to slow growth. And, you know, there's a, I, I don't know the number, but there's so many zombie companies in the UK, in the world, that just operate hand to mouth, right? Month on month, their sales cover their costs. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is they refinance their debt at a really low rate and they can survive. And a lot of these companies are very worried about them. And when you have this environment where these companies are going to start to falter they're going to start to go bankrupt they're going to start to be you know they 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 can't survive they're all in a passive product Mm. they're all in the FTSE all share they're all in the S&P 500 you have to own you don't have a choice whereas all you do is you spend five minutes looking at the balance sheet of one of these companies and you can see that this is not a sustainable company and that is just active management 101 is a Mm. talented experienced fund manager going through all the balance sheets of the companies and going, yes, no, yes, no. Mm. And that's got to be worth an investment in this world, in where we're going, in this, in this unparalleled environment that we're about to move into. You need somebody sat over your portfolio going, that's not something we want to mm-hmm. own. That is something we want to own. In fact, that's such a great opportunity. We want to own double of that. Mm-hmm. And that. That's as simple as I can make it. The reason why active management in this in this market, not in the last 10 years, right? You've only passed in the last 10 mm. years. Great. Well done, you. You <laughs> pat on the back. But I just think in this environment, it it pays to just have a moment of pause and reconsider that yeah. you know, having a 20-year veteran looking after your assets and deciding which bit to invest them into, you know, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're back to that diversification thing again, isn't it, James? With a passive product, you're not able to control the weightings in that portfolio. You know, no. you may have 12% in one stock, which yeah. for an active portfolio manager to do that, well, it just doesn't well, happen. You look at Tesla. Mm-hmm. Tesla is a huge part of the S&P 500. Yeah. If you own an S&P 500 ETF, you've got no choice but to own Tesla, own lots mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, you know, so you're almost, you know, your feet are nailed to the floor. Yeah, yeah. No, uh... but... <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I think in the, in the in today's market, as you say, that's a very important point to make, and very well made too. I have to say. Thank Definitely. you. 
So before we go and wrap up then, we always like to ask our guests, if you had the power to change one thing in financial services today, what would it be? So could you tell us what you think about that, James? Such an interesting question. <laughs> I could... <laughs> Um, 10 answers only you're only allowed yeah. one answer right. I know it's, it's a big okay. one <laughs> okay okay so in my travels around the city and talking to fund managers you know we do about 200 meetings a year um <laughs> I often find and I know your audience will probably find this as well everyone's being bought by everyone yeah right yeah. you know yeah. you had an independent IFA two weeks ago boom, they're gone They've been sucked yeah. up by a consolidator or, you know, they've gone into a different machine, into a different engine, and they now run money somewhere else. That's the same in the city. Everyone's being bought by everyone. And the regulator likes that. They like, a, they like assets pooling in big areas that they can regulate. But in doing so, my ability to buy fantastic funds that my clients have never heard of that deliver something truly unique, which is basically what DFM should be doing, um, is seriously impacted when the only thing mm. I can now buy are like big loads of Fidelity or big loads of BlackRock. Mm. BlackRock have been greedy and going and buying all the talent. Yeah. You know, I can't get a boutique anymore because yeah. they've just been bought by all the large, large, large entities. They're forcing everyone to own BlackRock. And if I could change one thing in my industry, it would be to foster more grassroots mm. growth of innovative funds, innovative fund houses, fund houses that are looking to bring on new talent from the new generation, give them an idea, give them some seed capital so that they can launch their own strategy, their own approach to the market. I think in the world of active management, having a narrower field of choice helps nobody. Having a, Mm -hmm. a colorful, diverse range of investment options only is to the benefit of the client and if we're not thinking about the client then what the hell are we doing really yeah. we should just be running a private equity fund or something you know we yeah. need to clients yeah, yeah. and yeah. i would like to see more grassroots innovation from funds i want to see more fantastic boutiques that i can look after and i can do my due diligence on and i can deliver to my clients to say look you're never going to find this anywhere else but with us Perfect. Good point. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And, it, and by goodness, things have changed on that front, haven't they? Even just the last 10 years, the, yeah. the number of those boutique managers who have very specialist interests has just dwindled, which is sad. Yeah. Now, there are still some out there and they do yeah, appear, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's just the regulation is so very hard for them yes. to, you know, they look at the yeah. prices and the costs of the funds and to launch and to get your HR yeah. department up. Oh, it's massive. Which, yeah. yeah, it's difficult. Of course it is. Of course it is. Well, let's. It would be very nice if your wish could come true. That's all I will let's say. Let's see. Maybe maybe <laughs> I'll become prime minister one day, and you can. Uh, we can come back on here, and I'll say that I've done it. Well, <laughs> well, no, uh, we'd be we'd 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 be very pleased to see that. Maybe, maybe it makes I'm it jumping to, the Who gun. knows? My <laughs> sick of me. <laughs> oh, anyway, James, thank you very much for talking to us today. It's been really interesting. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will agree with me and I hope that they find it useful too. And I guess I must say thank you to all our listeners for tuning in today. And James, have a good afternoon and we'll send you back to your day job. You too. <laughs> Thanks a lot. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. 
whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.